how much you admire, love or respect then uh, be able to open and enjoy and uh, get this fear of appreciation particularly important not to just transfer all the goodness to other people so we are able to appreciate uh, other people's goodness without jealousy without self-comparison because we appreciate the quality of goodness in ourselves and you see it being mirrored and modeled and you you resonate to that and it reminds you of something so you, you take it in and you Suffuse yourself, your mind with that gladness. never parted from the quality of good fortune
equanimity, the great release of equanimity, if we allow conditions to change. Allow conditions to arise, change, pass. So, you know, even as people you may consider, you know, changing, going from here to another venue, to another place, going home, just don't fear you're losing anything. Things are just changing. You're still here. You're always here. And conditions will always change. And they'll go from wonderful to weird, from weird to incomprehensible, from right to wrong, back again. (laughs) And your business is to stay with change, not to stick on the hills or the troughs. Then you're always here, you never never leave and you never lose. Tried, you know, come into this and extending it to our own predicaments. This is the way we should regard others, allowing them to be who they are, to form, to arise, to be seen. to manifest, to express, to change. It's a life process. Although others may get stuck in the troughs or the 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 hills, the peaks, we remain focused on inconstancy, impermanence, change, mutability, which is no failure, no losing.
So if you want to stretch your legs for a couple of minutes. I just uh, <coughs> like to illustrate <coughs> some of the couple of <coughs> readings for your reflection on the potency and the correct uh, cultivation of these um, immeasurables. So here's one. The sutta is from the connected Discourses the Sangyutta. It's from the 46th chapter of the Vojanga Sangyutta, and it's the 54th. And this one is pretty, and many of these, pretty mind blowing. <laughs> and it has various terms and references that themselves are worthy of uh, discourses and. Even some of the venerable commentators have kind of sort of, you know, stumbled at trying to really get what what this is all about. (laughs) But essentially the story is that these um, bhikkhus go into Halidavasana, which is some kind of little village, goes to the park and the wanderers of other sects are in the park. And as always these, these scenarios occur, Many times in the suttas, the wanderers of other sects who have kind of, or in they have these parks where the like they were set aside like uh, like um, national parks. You know, smaller, but most of the towns would have these parks where any old wanderer, ascetic, Brahmin, sage, contemplative could hang out there, and that was fine. You know, they they could go into town for arms. So often these places would be places of intense debate where these people would be wrangling with each other. And then what happened was whenever the disciples of the Buddha came along, they'd say, shh, <laughs> let's, look, let's look cool, you know. And they, sort of say, they try to engage them in some uh, uh, talk on Dhamma and try to, try to uh, trip them up. So this one is, a, this is always occurring. And the wanderers of other sects are saying, well, you know, Your your disciple, your teacher at Gotama teaches the Dharma to his disciples 
Come bhikkhus, abandon the five hindrances, the corruptions of the mind, the weakened wisdom, and dwell pervading one quarter with the mind imbued with loving kindness. Likewise the second, likewise the third, likewise the fourth. Above, below, across and everywhere, until all is oneself. Dwell providing the entire world with a mind imbued with loving kindness. So then they go through each of the Brahmavihara, saying this is what your teacher teaches. And say, well, we teach this too. We too, friends, teach the Dhamma to our disciples. Friends, abandon the five hindrances and dwell pervading the entire world with a mind imbued with loving kindness, compassion, altruistic joy and equanimity. So what's the difference? What's the distinction, the disparity, the difference between the ascetic Gotama and us regarding this Dhamma teaching and the other? So they're basically saying, well, your teacher's nothing special. So what? We do the same. So the bhikkhus neither delighted in nor rejected the statement of those wanderers. Without delighting in it, without rejecting it, they rose from their seats and left thinking, we shall learn in the meaning of this statement in the presence of the Blessed One. So they go to see the Buddha and tell him this. And the Buddha says, Bhikkhus, when wanderers of other sects speak thus, they should be asked, Friends, how is the liberation of the mind by loving kindness developed? What does it have as its destination, its culmination, its fruit, its final goal? How is the liberation of the mind by compassion developed? What does it have as its destination, its culmination, its fruit, its final goal? How is the liberation of the mind by altruistic joy developed? What does it have as its destination, its culmination, its fruit, its final goal? Similarly for equanimity. Being asked thus, those wanderers would not be able to reply. And further, they would meet with vexation. For what reason? Because that would not be within their domain. I do not see anyone, bhikkhus in this world, with its devas, mara and brahma, in this generation with its ascetics and brahmins, its devas and humans, who could satisfy the mind with an answer to these questions, except the Tathagata, or a disciple of the Tathagata, or one who has heard it from them. And how, because is the liberation of the mind by loving-kindness developed? What does it have as its destination, its culmination, its fruit, its final goal? Here, because a bhikkhu develops the enlightenment factor of mindfulness accompanied by, by loving-kindness. The, the enlightenment factor of investigation accompanied by loving-kindness and so forth. <laughs> so all the enlightenment factors are to be developed accompanied by loving-kindness, including samadhi and piti and, um, equi- and equanimity itself. Accompanied by loving-kindness based upon seclusion, dispassion, cessation and maturing in release. If he wishes, may I dwell perceiving the repulsive in the unrepulsive, he dwells perceiving the repulsive therein. If he wishes, may I dwell perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive, he dwells perceiving the unrepulsive. If he wishes, may I dwell perceiving the unrepulsive in the unrepulsive and in the repulsive, he dwells perceiving the repulsive therein. 
if he wishes may I dwell, <laughs> perceiving the unrepulsive in the repulsive and in the unrepulsive, he dwells perceiving the unrepulsive therein. If he wishes avoiding both the unrepulsive and the repulsive, may I dwell equanimously, mindful and clearly comprehending, then he dwells therein, equanimously, mindful and clearly comprehending. Or else he enters and dwells in the deliverance of the beautiful. Bhikkhus, the liberation of mind by loving kindness has the beautiful as its culmination, I say. For a wise bhikkhu here, has not penetrated to a superior liberation. So then he goes through the others and the what's being expounded here, then he says the culmination of compassion is the mind through cultivating in line with the enlightenment factors based on seclusion dispassion, cessation, and maturing in relinquishment. With the complete transcending of forms, perceptions of sensory impingement, with non-attention to perceptions of diversity, aware that space is infinite, he enters and dwells in the base of the infinity of space. This is the culmination of compassion culmination of altruistic joy um, after doing this with all the repulsive and the unrepulsive he dwells with mindfulness and clear comprehension transcending the base of the infinity of space aware that consciousness is infinite he enters and dwells in the base of the infinity of consciousness and then the liberation of the maya of equanimity its culmination is the base of nothing or nothingness as its culmination if he has not penetrated to a superior liberation. So these, you know, so these, these culminations in themselves are equivalent to these immaterial and subtle material spheres. So a sphere is a sphere of perception. Mm. For example, is when in, in a jhana, then your your experience, your mind sees experiences a sphere means an unbroken field, say of of which has got the qualities of happiness and joy in it. You know, so that's it. It doesn't have nagging thoughts. It just has these qualities in it. Yeah, so it's un, it's got unified in that extent. Mm. So that's called a sphere. Most of our mental spheres are extremely um, uh, jigsawed, you know, all kinds of bits and pieces in them. But so you, you through the these cultivations, you begin to eliminate the unnecessary, and you become your more unified mind. And then these immaterial ones are the, the quality of the mind is just one of beauty, quality of the sphere of the beautiful, which is the culmination of metta. So it's a very bright, beautiful uh, mindset, mind space. Compassion, a sense of vast space. Yeah. 
altruistic joy, sense of um, consciousness which has no measure, doesn't measure anything, the elimination of any kind of measuring, and no thing or nothingness, equanimity, doesn't make anything out of anything, so does nothing. <laughs> this doesn't mean there's nothing, it means there's no thing. Mm. Now, we're not going to get there tonight, so that's just a sort of uh, <laughs> And he's saying, this is, you get, you get in these if you haven't gotten to anywhere better. <laughs> because what's better is uh, the realization of Nirvana. Mm. And so noticing there, this is accompanied, so here these, these Brahma Viharas are accompanied by the power of sati, the ability to bear it in mind, stay with it, abide in it, linger in it, explore it, see where it's getting damaged or afflicted, shore it up there, investigate, put energy into it, fulfill it, till it becomes something that lifts you, rapture. Yeah. So that these are the how the how they're to be cultivated. So they begin to feel you really feel you know you worked it to something that is isn't uh, fragile and can be sustained and then it begins to lift you the feeling of lifting and then steadying in that unifying in that and becoming stable in that and that's the samatha aspect of it based on what's called seclusion or viveka which means I've translated that colloquially as unplugging it means you're you're withdrawing from the hindrances for example you know, from plugging into sense desire ill will things where you get locked and stuck you're pulling out those those attachments dispassion mind becoming uh, more accepting quality of, of ease coolness ceasing the ending of particular reactionary programs or constructions of self and maturing in release or letting go is this sort of sense of complete surrender of trying to form anything these are the this is the cultivation of insight goes in this way Gordon, yeah. this is very another reading I don't want to go into this a lot this one is the 52nd I think mm. it's called this is Sutta the Attaganagara Sutta 52nd of the middle length discourses and this it describes the four immeasurables as gates to the deathless. So it's a similar vein, except the narrative is different. And here's Ananda saying he pervades, provides pervading one quarter with a mind imbued with loving kindness, likewise the second, the third, and the fourth, above and below. So that's how you cultivate it. And the then um, just as in this other thing, other sutta, 
developing it, enriching it, sustaining it, making it stable and solid through these uh, enlightenment factors. And then he considers it and understands it thus. This deliverance of mind through loving kindness is conditioned and volitionally produced. But whatever is conditioned and volitionally produced is impermanent and subject to cessation. If he is steady in that, he attains the destruction of the taints, which means uh, liberation. So, and that goes through all of the Brahma Vihara. So, it's an example, uh, and he does this with all of the, um, the four Brahma Vihara, four immeasurables. Uh, so it's an example of the use of volition, and here we're using volition, say, just tapping into the empathic sense, which is the fundamental sense of heart. What do we mean by heart? We're affected. We do not, because we're affected, we're not separate. Otherwise, we wouldn't be affecting each other. Yeah. So we are affected, we are connected, it happens, we resonate, we internalize experience, something happening outside apparently stays and comes inside. That's you know, empathic, it means you feel and you feel in accordance with what's happening around. So that's, that, that's the natural sense of the heart, isn't it? You can't, if you avoid it, you end up doing yourself quite a lot of damage, cutting it off. The challenge of the empathic sense is that how do we not get merged and flooded with suffering? How do we not get, if you empathize with everything, how do you not get taking in all the suffering, misery, pain and violence of the world and just become drowning in it? And that's what these Brahma Viharas are about. They're saying you, you know, you lift up and you, you don't let the mind get overtaken with ill will or craving, which is metta. You don't let the mind get overwhelmed with worry and sorrow, which is, or indifference, which is compassion. You don't let the mind get overwhelmed with jealousy or cynicism, which is mudita. Don't let the mind get overwhelmed with ups and downs, which is equanimity. You abide, sustaining the understanding of change and the, and the right view that recognizes what we can do is put in the good causes. If you put in the good causes, the good effects are bound to accrue. So you don't get, you know what to do. We don't know why things happen, but we know what to do. We're not trying to explain the world or justify it, but we know what to do. This is the quality of volition and the empathic sense, the empathic field. You know what to do. And so you sustain that, then you sustain that in your heart, then naturally speech, the actions, all take their lead from that in accordance with 
you know, what capacities or potentials you have to bring that forth in terms of action and speech. So this is the role of volition. That's uh, Sankara, the lead, the lead of it, and here we're picking it up and deliberately using it, just as we can use it to sustain attention on the breathing. Here is using it to sustain attention on the the, the heart's capacity to widen and include and send forth as we all can do and do. It's really important to to recognize the opportunities. You know, you know, there are plenty of them. We don't know what to do, you're bored, you're not certain what to do, cultivate metta. There's always something to do <laughs> in a way that's not agitated and it's not uh, willful, it's not trying to get anywhere with it, you cultivate that. Mm. When you're meeting people who are hostile or negative or then cultivate the awareness of the painful states they're in to act in such ways, the ignorance or the occlusion, their hearts are constricted, their hearts are overwhelmed with bitterness or regret or stupidity. Oh, how regretful. Don't have to pick it up, cultivate quality of compassion. When experiencing, recognizing the, the good fortune of others rather than how can I get to be like that? How do I get one of those? How can I be as good as she is? Cultivate appreciation. Oh, I can take some of that. I can can enjoy that too. And then, uh, you know, we're never in that feeling of, you know, being left out. And a practitioner I knew used to have a lot of mudita for Mara because said, Mara's having such a good time beating me up. <laughs> I really got to... <laughs> hope it's enjoying yourself. <laughs> he puts in the hours, 24 hours a day. He's worthy of some acknowledgement. <laughs> this person had a lot of capacity for mudita. <laughs> He had a lot of suffering in his life. <laughs> but not going into self-pity. And how come I got a rotten deal? And how come somebody else having a better deal than me? So, oh, good, good. You know. This is so it's widening the field, isn't it? That's why it's called measureless consciousness. If you if that's cultivated, that's why it's called infinite. Infinite consciousness means there's no there's no measure in it. It doesn't divide things up. No measuring goes on, the sharing. And mudita 
altruistic joy is essentially the sharing quality in which we don't portion up who's getting more better. Hmm? Now that trajectory leads to this sense of the measureless. The consciousness has no, the, no boundaries to it. Uh, equanimity. Hmm. Change. If you stay with anything, anything, it's a job, situation, relationship, you've got to get to equanimity. Doesn't mean indifference, it means the ability to bear the empathic sense through the ups and downs of it all, not to give up empathy, to never give it up. And that tremendous capacity means we begin to have the, the strength to be able to discharge the upsets and the misfortunes. We can take that in and this too will change. This too is subject to causes and conditions. This too is not self. Mm. Really important, very profound cultivation. Takes out all, all these take out all the positions we have. Mm. where we find ourselves standing against things Mm. resisting complaining feeling put down feeling let down feeling others are having a good time why not me you know (laughs) these positions that one mind will tend to form in in this field to erase it this is why they are peaceful deliverances they deliver us from the self positions and this is their purpose so that's the the quality of that sphere can then be enjoyed taken in quality of beauty spaciousness, uplift and so forth. These can be just taking as treasures of the mind. Heart's, heart's treasures. And then the quality of insight is the cultivation of recognizing, yeah, well, this was conditioned, cause, generated. So it doesn't mean you get rid of it. It just means you you don't uh, hold on to it. You don't see yourself, it belongs to you. You see it as something that has the, the role of eliminating certain positions in the mind. When that's eliminated, then that's, they can be, uh, the mind can move beyond that and stop generating anything. So you come down to the kind of very, this is all quite lofty, but you're looking at these are the essentials 
for living in any kind of social context, which we all do. We are human beings, so we live, we're always going to be affected by others. We have relationships, families, loyalties, and they're always kind of tipping around, aren't they? Offing and downing and so on, and trying to find yourself, your your space within that. This is the issue, you know, to not to to not merge with everybody else's things, but also not to resist it. So, the, the topic for the heart is. You know, we we naturally have a tendency to empathize, to pick up, to to form dependent upon other people. Input affects what other people are doing. We want to have that experience, but we don't want to be flooded with it. So how can one maintain the empathy and yet also establish a sense of differentiation? You know, I hear that, I'm sympathetic to that, yeah, but there's also my heart is abiding in this, is fortified by this, is uh, able to meet all those changes and difficulties with this. Yeah. So it's a, the ability to differentiate, which doesn't generate some sense of a position of approval or disapproval, or you know, the, or shutting it off. This is uh, the requirement for the social realm. And, uh, you know, many times in Sangha life, living in an assembly where you have to be with people, you know, when you're into Sangha, Bhikkhu Sangha anyway, that means you are wedded to a large number of other guys you never met. <laughs> Any one of whom may suddenly turn up on your doorstep saying, I'm your brother Bhikkhu. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like having, you know, some brothers and sisters, but also some crazy old uncles and some grumpy old grandmothers and some wacky teenagers. <laughs> turning up when you're not really right in the mood for it and uh, <laughs> that's sang life and then also one is dependent of course upon uh, the goodwill of, of lay people turning up bringing food and offerings how can you live without it and so it's a very communal field very communal you, know, you may think it's all tranquil and peaceful you try it <laughs> I invite you I invite you It's not like this, it's not as tranquil as this is. It's sort of like you know, being in a washing machine, continuing life in the washing machine. <laughs> and just kind of feeling your, your own rough edges, continually knocking against other people's rough edges and sort of, okay, here we are. Just where can we, <laughs> you know, where does the, where does the, uh, 
conflict stop? Where does the judgment stop? Where does the differentiation stop? And it's cultivating these. It's like you need it to survive. (laughs) You get so irritated and, uh, you know, have people doing it, turning up when I'm going to be peaceful and quiet. And then nobody being around when I want some company, they're all being peaceful and quiet. (laughs) The various positions one can take. And then, you know, when you teach or an abbot, then I told them to do this. Why are they doing that? I said, do this, don't do that. But in fact, he's doing that and not doing this. You know, this kind of thing goes on in your mind. You think, I'm either going to spend my life feeling grumpy, crotchety, grumpy old man, demanding that everybody be the way I want them to be, or I'm going to develop the Brahma Vihara. What am I going to do? Go nuts? <laughs> it gets really, it gets really quite easy in a way. You know, you've got. Either you're going to go mad, <laughs> or you develop the Brahma Vihara. What do you want? <laughs> it's not kind of like an interesting meditation technique. It's survival of <laughs> the heart. <laughs> Just uh, refuse to let myself get angry about that. Just okay. He didn't notice, or he's got calming obstacles, or he's having a bad time, I don't know, but uh I'm just not going to get, not going to hold this person, perception of this person in my mind, in that way. You know, it's just not going to do me any good, you know. And really interesting, because occasionally, you know, in these situations you get somebody who really you're having a hard time with. You know, criticizes you, says things about you. You get one of these every now and then. This guy, after, you know. And uh, just say, okay, there's that. And you feel that. And that's his. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry about he feels that way. And just really coming back to, I cannot possibly be faultless. There's no way I can please everybody. There's no way I can be flawless on that condition level. You may very well find fault with me, indeed. I can do, I can find even more fault with me than you can. (laughs) And I have to live with me all the time. But I can do that and I can go to that place and I can find fault with you. Or I could abide with a mind of kindness, compassion, appreciative joy and equanimity. Feels better this way. And just, you know, sort of deliberately placing the irritable person right in the sphere of one's Brahma Vihara and just you know, feeling yourself recoiling from that perception and they're just moving into it with it's okay, may you be well, may 
your suffering cease, may your irritation cease, may, you know, and if it doesn't, then live it out, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and it's, uh, this is the way to, to uh, really keep turning life around. The monastery I live in is people, there's the resident community, and there's guests, and there's casual visitors who come in. It's very open, so it's an open situation, so it's quite chaotic. I mean, it's not, you know, not wildly chaotic, but it's, it's, there's always changing. Suddenly, you know, a dozen people turn up, um, who are not meditators turning up, or occasionally you get local, um, Troublemakers turn up, start throwing rocks at the window or making noises, mm -hmm. smashing things up, mm -hmm. you know. Then you've got wacky neighbours. Britain is exceptionally rich with wacky neighbours. <laughs> they come storming in, waving their sticks or fingers at you or walk, feeling they have the right to walk their dogs across your course your land and there's all this see in this kind of thing and you just want your little little space where you could be all right your little place you know, your little <laughs> fortress where you could be left alone you know so I have my own kuti you know my little lodge and then you think oh I've got my door closed I'm all right and every now and then you hear this kind of, somebody just comes wandering in through the door. And we also get people who are definitely mentally disturbed. So occasionally one of these chaps wanders in, you know, starts saying things to me. Oh, hello, yes. <laughs> Take him by the hand, walk outside, walk around. You know. <laughs> occasionally people turn up, wander in the door. Is this the nun's? Quarters, no, no, I'm not a nun. It's down the road, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so this is really important, you know, because otherwise one's mind is going to have all these residues in it and uh, resentment and want uh, to run away. And a mind like that is already shaken to the roots. And there's no you can't really develop samadhi from there. But in front of it, the Brahma Vihara, you meet those challenges, and you don't, and you can feel what it's doing, and then you, just another moment, sustain the quality of, you know, equanimity, or loving kindness, just another moment, sustain it. And you feel so glad <laughs> that you're able to sustain it, you know and not, not lose that. And then when you, you know, disturbances always move on. The external thing always moves on and you're not left with the internal residue. And then you can sit down and you feel the relief and the happiness of a heart that hasn't, hasn't contracted or lost its balance. And this is the beauty of it.
So then you really look around you, you know, in your own lives, in your time here, the things that other people, you realize you're not upset by other people, you're upset by what other people do. You're not upset by people, you're upset by the noise she makes. Or, you know, you're upset by a piece of behavior. There's nobody there. <laughs> it's just a piece of behavior. There's nobody. That's, that's just an event, isn't it? It's not a person. And you take that in, into the mind. When the mind doesn't have any control, turns it into a person who then sits there in your heart. You've got to have some say over that. If you live in the human world, you've got to have some say over that. Oh, you're going to go crazy. <laughs> or shut down altogether, which is probably even worse. You know, get so tight and uh, dismissive. And if you can dissolve these uh, afflictive perceptions, and you realize also with humility, you're probably an afflictive perception to somebody else. <laughs> We're all in this together. <laughs> you know, oh, you know, who's to blame? Who's to blame? Ignorance is to blame. So let's not feed it. So, conclude there. And just to a uh, little note, a couple of notes. Tomorrow is a open day, so there's no group events in it. And for just to also say that for my time here is coming to an end. I mean, I'm not planning on dying, but I'm planning. <laughs> Well, that's going to happen one day. So. Uh, I, I expect that I'll be leaving here. <laughs> and I imagine some of you will too. Uh, so there's that sense of some of us, there will be that sort of movement to, to, to leaving. And just to remind you or to inform you that, you know, that the retreat center is very much attuned to that and is quite, you know, is able to do all the coordinating so you don't, don't have to worry about it. They're tuned into all that. And also we will have an occasion to have a, something like a, a closure, you know, because even if you're staying here, then certainly this particular form is going to subside and move into something else. So we're going to arrange a way where we can have a, a, a kind of a group closure, which is a little more expressive and... Uh, and just a nice way to tie things off. And that will be on Saturday, Saturday evening. And then on, on Sunday, um, there will be a, a, like a puja as usual. And uh, recognize that some people have got to do laundry and things like that. We just say, okay, let's just do some the chanting together. And then if you need to do things, go and do things. If you want to stay and sit, do that. And just 
you know, but it will be there. And then after the um, breakfast and so forth, I'll be in the library. So if you want to stop by and and uh, say goodbye, then I'll be there all morning. And I'll be leaving sometime in the afternoon. As far as appearances go, that's what can be said.